Good afternoon and welcome to the business community on Calon FM. With me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. And by this time, the identity of our new Prime Minister will have been announced, but we are... uh, we're, we're airing a pre-recorded show because Tracy and I have other commitments this week. So we're going to start the show with an interview from the Prince's Trust. Simon Plumpton of the Prince's Trust joined us earlier in the week uh, to talk about what's happening with them in and around the Wrexham area. We're joined in the studio today by Simon Plumpton from the Prince's Trust. Welcome, Simon. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Um, I think a lot of us have already heard about the Princess Trust, but just give us a a potted bio of what it is. Uh, It's the biggest youth organisation in the UK, uh, currently uh, working here in North Wales, uh, across from here, Wrexham, all the way across to the the Llyn, down to um, Aberystwyth, um, uh, and in the entirety of Wales, um, looking at guys aged 11 to 30. Uh, We're working in schools, uh, working with the unemployed, working with the employed and the self-employed. I think that's that the age of 30 is quite an interesting one because I think that often the perception is that it's younger people, but it, that spans quite a broad uh, age range. Yeah, and I think it's the, the way the, the Trust has, has looked at um, long-term help of people over 25, as it were. Um, so, And that's the reason uh, we work with uh, up to 30. And it's gone, and actually the age range has gone down to 11 um, so we can work within the school system. Fantastic. Okay. Tracy, you've done some work with the Princess Trust, haven't you? Yeah, I've been a volunteer on the executive programme for um, 13 years, I think. <laughs> 13 years. I've lost count now. And um, I've, I've been involved with uh, mentoring young people who start up in business, but also more recently uh, been involved in progression mentoring as well. So... So how do how do the mechanics work, Simon? Um, you find an entrepreneur or a, or a young person with an idea or an, or a business that has been going for a time, and you pair them with a an advice an advisory are you called what are you call mentor mentor yeah yeah is that how that how does yeah, it work kind of. in practice um, you you give the young person some info first of all so there's a three day course that they attend, uh, which gives them all the information but just the information they need. So it's about, um, it's not going too in-depth, uh, but it's, these are the sort of things that you need to do if you want to run your own business over those three days. And then we introduce them to, to people like Tracy, the mentors. And uh, we're going to do a different thing on day three now. Uh, Tracy probably doesn't know, uh, but we're going to do speed dating, as it were, with the young people. Uh, so the mentors that turn up, we're going to try and pair them off with the person who's the perfect match for them. Oh, Sounds like fun, doesn't it? Oh. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I'd be yeah. left on my own in the corner. <laughs> no, no, you have to participate. You have to, you have no, to get in there. No, I would participate. Gonna, it, she's not going to get picked. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. Okay, that's, an in, okay, that's interesting. So that's, that's the three-day info session. Okay. After they do that, they're, they're then we've, we've changed things around a little bit from how it used to be. So at that point, they're given the opportunity to go away and have a think about whether they want to start their own business. And uh, part of that would be putting a business plan together if they decided to. And at that point, we want a mentor to to be paired with them to get that business plan together. Mm -hmm. There are about 14 to 15 um, mentors at the moment in the Wrexham area. So when we do um, an enterprise in Wrexham, uh, we'll have the the guys come around the table 
every two or three months, all of those mentors get together and we'll have a look at that business plan um, and see if that person is ready for what we call business launch group. Once we get to business launch group, three um, mentors will have a check that the business plan is absolutely ready. And then that's a celebration that the person's going to start their business. From that point, the mentor who was with them for the business plan will stay with them for another two years. Wow. So it's a managed process. There's some accountability. There's lots of support. Uh, it's rather than it being an, a good idea and staying as a good idea, people are helped to move it through to, yeah. to become a, rea- a reality. Yeah. And the other, then the last bit is about uh, support afterwards, because traditionally what you do is you, that, that's it. You, you finish the program, the mentor carries on. The mentor is on their own. Um, they might not have all the expertise, Tracy being the exception because she has all the <laughs> expertise. Mm, yeah. But you may not have all the expertise, so um, you might need some help. But also the young person probably needs some help because those are information days they do in the first three days, and it's just information. We, we've, we're offering some bolt-on um, classes, as it were, sessions that they can go to through the year. So things like HMRC, how do you get online? How do you do it? How do you do marketing? How do you do sales? Um, and also the mentors can also go to those sessions because they may want to upskill themselves as well so they can pass it on. And then the last bit to what we're going to try is that each person who comes off from the mentor after two years, if uh, the mentor feels that that person has, has performed in a, in, a, in a very good way and is ready, we will offer the chance for that young person to become a mentor. Ah, so it's self self perpetuation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. What um what are the types of businesses who without you don't have to name any names, but what are the types of businesses that you perhaps have been working with? Are they you know, are, are they are, are they um artists? Are they people who are making products? Are they service shall industry? I, shall what? I take you through a bit of a roll call if I oh, can do. remember everybody yeah. I've worked Go on. with? Um a club DJ was the very first uh, person I mentored. Okay. And then online electrical goods reseller, uh, hairdresser, beauty salon. Somebody was looking to um, make fancy dress costumes, to rent out China for events, Uh, an artist, a fashion designer. So really varied. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not picky. (laughs) Any any business I'm interested in. Yeah, yeah. So I won't say I will only work with that type of person because ultimately the principles are the same. And I'm not trying to run the business for them. That's the point with the mentor yeah. is, is is not to say how you should run your business. So it doesn't matter what the business is. As long you don't as need to know how to make no, fancy dress costumes. they have to go costumes. away and do it. Yeah. As long as you're using the right sort of principles for running a business. Yeah. Interesting. Actually, I, I, I'd have a go at making a costume. Well, you'd have a go at anything, <laughs> but... But it's not necessary. No, it's I don't think necessary. I could make money from um, it. <laughs> the, the criteria has slightly changed from when Tracy first started, so and only in the last few months. So everybody that she's mentored has been unemployed right. at the point of contact, whereas now um, we can take people who are unemployed, um, just about coming self-employed, students. That's so a massive we've, change. We've widened yeah. the range. Mm, yeah. um, so the first thing we did was we went into Deeside College. And we asked if it was possible to talk to a class uh, of young people who were at year three and were, were just about to finish their hairdressing courses. And we got 26 young people into that session. And that equates to quite a lot because um, we've been getting three or four to each session. So, so to have 26 yeah. uh, and then be able to talk to those young people about the possibilities that they've got uh, was, was really good. So we've changed that. 
the clientele is going to change, but not going to change because we're always going to take people who are unemployed at the lowest point, but still yeah, want to start. But the their difference own is, you're catching people without having to wait for them yes. to to go to the job centre. Yeah. yeah, you're actually helping them before they get to that stage, yeah. which I think is a massive improvement on on how you can offer the service. So from a um, from a, a business owner's point of view, our our, our listenership, um, or, or indeed people who are already self-employed for a short amount of time, they may qualify if they fit within that age range. So it's certainly worth them finding out yeah. whether whether they qualify. What would you say to any business owner who's listening, who's thinking about mentoring? You know, how would they get in touch? What would they do? What's the what's the process? As in becoming a volunteer mentor, mm, uh, mm. they just contact me direct, um, okay. and I will set up an interview. And we're currently uh, recruiting. We've got two or three people ready to go, uh, but those are progression mentors as well. We're not just looking for business mentors. We're mm-hmm. looking for guys who can help people who are unemployed or in a difficult situation to get to a certain point in their life. So we're looking for progression mentors and business mentors. The business mentors that we uh, will recruit, we're, we're probably looking to double the amount of volunteers uh, in the whole of North Wales. And currently, there are 21. Okay. So we're looking to try and double that. So they just contact me. It's an interview, uh, a very f- informal interview, uh, two references a sort, and they do two days training with us, and they're ready to go. Right. And this is this coincides with an increased presence in the Wrexham area, doesn't it? Because yeah. you've got you've got new premises a new office opening up in the in the near future yeah so we're coming into Wrexham it's been recognized that the majority of the uh the agencies and and partners that we have are in Wrexham Uh, it's the biggest population um area in where we work um so we're coming out of Rill into Wrexham into Tipaub the end of July beginning of August Um, but we will still be working along the coast and and into the south of uh, of north wales um still doing programs we're still doing one in, in carnarvon soon so although we will be coming to Wrexham, we will still be uh, working down on the coast but the the majority we can see that the majority of things that we'll do around certainly around enterprise is within this area fantastic tracy what would you say you get from being a mentor with the Prince's Trust? Wow, okay, how long have we got? <laughs> <laughs> I originally started to, to um, volunteer with the Prince's Trust because I was um, trying to stop myself from just setting up businesses because I like, I love the process of a business and starting business, creating things. And I was actually okay with where I was at the moment, didn't need to go and create another business, wanted to get involved with other people running businesses and actually support them and you know to get that from a totally selfish point of view to get the buzz that you get from creating that new business but vicariously whilst at the same time providing support for somebody so it's a two-way street I get that pleasure from seeing something grow and seeing seeing them you know working out how to make it work that's that's the pleasure that I get and they get the support that they need so I think we both win yeah a win win as they say we will put contact details for the Prince's Trust on our website, which is thebusiness.community. And of course, you can listen again to this interview. If there's any information or you want to signpost somebody to it, that um, 
that podcasted version is also available at that website. Simon, thank you very much for joining us. You're welcome. Good luck with the new premises. Thank you. And um, we look forward to hearing all about some of the new businesses that you're supporting in and around the Wrexham area. Thanks for having me. So this week, we've also been looking at things that have caught our eye. And first on my list is Microsoft Teams. Now, last Thursday, I think it was, Microsoft Teams, or even the week before that, actually. I'm trying to this work out where pre- we are. Yeah. This is a pre-record. Yeah. One Thursday in the past. Yes, not too long ago. <laughs> Microsoft released some data which said that their collaboration app is now being used by 13 million individuals on a daily basis. And for the first time ever, that means it's surpassing its rival, Slack. And... Uh, it's part of the Office 365 package. Heather, have you used Teams so far? I haven't used Teams, but I do remember you mentioning mentioning it a few weeks ago because it's one of the things that uh, Slack is one of the things that Microsoft employees are forbidden to That's use. That's right. Yeah. So I imagine, um, well, this is part of their world domination. But no, I haven't. I haven't used Teams. Now, um, the com- one of the companies I work for is in encouraging us to start using Teams and it's going to be replacing um, some of the services that you can get through the intranet. So I I shall be looking at it with interest, using it at the moment and it's not really delivering any benefit to me, but that's because most of the other people in the organisation aren't using Mm. it. So I've sort of been piloting it, but it does feel a little bit like an echo chamber at the moment. There's not much going on there. But yeah, it's as part of the 365 offering that they've got, I I imagine it's going to start taking on. However, with these software companies, they're they're a bit ruthless. If it doesn't take on, it doesn't become successful. I'm always a bit concerned that they're going to just chop it off and say, right, we're not doing that anymore. And then you've got to go back to what you were using before. If you can remember. Yes. Yeah. So talking about going back to stuff, I really like to, um, and we've talked about this before when we're reviewing books we like the paper copy if there's something that we want to go back to see the link and we want to be using it again we like the paper copy of a book we do now education publisher pearson last week announced that they were going to phase out print textbooks over a period of time (gasps) starting in the u.s Oh, gosh. And their their justification is that it's the Netflix and Spotify generation where people expect to rent, not own. But for me, if it's something that I want to refer to again and again, I want to be able to write in it, highlight it, underline it, it, carry it around with me like a little Bible. But apparently, students of the future will be preferring to rent rather than own so they're just making their first steps towards phasing out print books and going for digital first they're not getting rid of them altogether but they're not going to be updating the printed copies as frequently as they are at the moment and the selling point is that they will be updating their e-textbooks continually so you'll always Mm -hmm. have access to the latest version And the other thing that caught my eye is something that's happened in Parliament, a new bill starting to make its way through Parliament, introduced by Conservative MP Helen Watley, I I presume, Waitley, Watley, I'm not quite sure, sorry, Helen. And the idea of the bill is to force employers to make all job roles flexible by default, rather than putting the onus on the employees to request flexibility. 
it sounds quite complicated and but I can sort of see where she's coming from with it I I just thought I would flag it up because it might have a significant impact on some of our listeners both as employers and as employees what's mm. caught your eye this week Heather? Well, I was looking at the gov.uk website uh, and there was an article on the 16th of July uh, and the heading is Finance Sector Backs British Business Women. Plans to increase the number of British female entrepreneurs have taken a leap forward with major banks and venture capital firms signalling their support. There are plans to increase the number of British female entrepreneurs um, by half and and this has been a significant game changer. Um, There is a a code of practice called Investing in Women code and the likes of Royal Bank of Scotland, Barclays, the Co-op Bank, Nationwide, you name it, they're all there. Um, They have signed up to it, as have some venture capital firms, uh, Frontline, uh, Angel Networks, UK Business Angel Association, etc. And the British Business Bank, which is is, um, one of the biggies. Um, So the... um, all of these banks, as I say, have signed up to it and they're seeing it as a very positive step forward. So I guess there will be statistics being reported in the fullness of time to see whether or not it actually achieves what it's set out to do. Uh, but uh, as a woman in business, as a, a female entrepreneur, um, it would be nice to think that, uh, that you know, this, this will bear fruit um, before too long. So, it's something well, that's uh, worth keeping an eye on, as with a, a lot of the so. things that we we sort of mention it's worth checking back in a few months time yeah so for we, sure perhaps we'll do that heather for sure you can read the full article on um on gov.uk this is the favorite my favorite part of the show it's the discovery section where tracy and i share with you something that we've unearthed or come across or been signposted to in um in in the week before the show and this week, I've got something that I discovered something and then it joined up with something else. And then it's a little it's a little bit like, uh, is it serendipity? You know, when things start appearing. Uh, I was thinking of you peeling an onion. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, a bit like that. Yeah, but without the tears. But yeah. but that kind of thing. So um, when I was on holiday a couple of weeks ago, I really focused on listening to podcasts and I was scouring iTunes and looking for all sorts of different podcasts. And I found one that I thought looked really interesting. Um And it's called Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat. And it's um, the author is a guy called Bruce Daisley. And he is the European Vice President of, oh, I've just forgotten, of Facebook, is it? Or Google, uh, Twitter. Sorry, Twitter. I had a mental block then. I knew it was one of them. It was Twitter. Sorry about that. Did you hear the panic in my voice? Anyway, so this podcast, so there are, There are all sorts of different subjects, uh, measuring the intelligence of teams, um, mental health and emotions, practical ways of fixing work, gender in the workplace, you name it. Um, And they're sort of they're not every week, but there's enough of them to make it an interesting podcast to 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 catch up with. Uh, Then I was somewhere yesterday and um, somebody welcomed me into the office and they said, I'm terribly sorry about all the mess. And there was this big pile of books over in the corner. And um, they said, oh, we've got an event tomorrow. And I said, oh, drawn to the pile of drawn books. to the pile of books because <laughs> um, they were all the same book. And I said, oh, um, is your event tomorrow got anything to do with the author of that book? 
Bruce Daisley. And I was like, why does this name ring a bell? Why did... Oh, podcast. Oh, book. His book, The Joy of Work. So um, she said, no, no, he spoke at an event a couple of weeks ago, but you can have this copy of this book. Can I just say not just the joy of work, but the joy of the book. It's a lovely, thick, hardback book. It's a proper... Feels yeah, lovely. It's a proper book. And this is looking at... It's, it's some of those small things that we can adopt in the workplace that make work a better place to be. Let's face it, we spend a lot of time there. And it's making sure it's, it's called 30 Ways to Fix Your Work Culture and Fall in Love with Your Job Again. And I think we all need some of that sometimes, whether we run our own business or whether we're employed. And then on the back of that, I came across um, a conference that's taking place in September in Manchester, organised by Professor Carrie Cooper and his business partner, at which Bruce Daisley is speaking. And it is called the Good Day at Work Conversation. It's on the 17th of September and there are all sorts of people speaking. There is an award winning comedian um, and Sunday best Sunday Times best-selling author and columnist Adam Kay. There is Professor Carrie Cooper. There is Bruce Daisley. It looks like a fantastic event. So that's what I found. Can you tell I'm really excited about it? I can. And we're going to put links for those on our website. So when Heather writes the words up, we'll also put links to the book and to the event. So just go and have a look at our website. What have you got, Tracy? You can't beat that. I mean, that's just... I I don't know. This is a pretty good book, but I haven't got book, podcast, event all lined up. I've just got a book. It's a new book, though. It was published in June this year and it's called Ignite Your Female Leadership 35 Outstanding Stories by Women Who Are Inspiring the World Through Feminine Leadership The foreword is by J.B. Owen who's the founder and CEO of Ignite which from what I can gather is an organisation for women leaders Ah, Uh And she talks uh, in the foreword about you being able to read stories of true female leadership She says they may not be hard-hitting, stratospheric tales found in movies or sensationalised in news reports. Instead, they will be the quiet giants, the heart-centred, mindful stories of women in everyday situations finding their skills of leadership. So she's talking about things like women using a gentler side of leading and, you know, what it means to lead the female way and what is true female leadership. And... I had a quick read through. I haven't read it all, so um, I wanted to get a, a feel for it and, and to, to understand. So I've, I've read through the first couple. And what I like is there's a structure to each of the stories. So you start off with um, a quote at the beginning and then you've got an intention of the author. So they start off with their mantra, she calls it, or their battle cry. And then what the author intends you to feel or to find out or to aspire to after you've read this story and then action steps at the end so things to go away after you've read the story to do so that you can actually take something from this and and, and to to act on it and and I really like the format you know I'm a sucker for a quote Heather yes yeah and I do like repetition with these things and I I agree here. I I hadn't heard of any of the leaders in the book at all. So they're the quiet giants, as she says. Uh, but they're nice. They're nice stories. They're not massively long. They're not detailed. They're not, 
you know, sort of chest-beating, uh, you know, Warriors. Sort of warrior mm. women. Although there are some chest-beating warrior women in there. Yeah. It's a real mix. So it starts off, JBO in herself starts it off with um, leading in between. And her quote is, it is better to be known for who you are than known for who you are not. Very good. And she says her intention was to write a story... Uh, that will not just move and encourage you, but will touch your heart in a profound way. You will be inspired to listen to it, follow it and do right by it. I hope from reading these words, you will feel compelled not to do what others choose for you, but what you choose for yourself. And the action steps are all about creating a personal charter. She talks about you, you write a, a, a mission statement for any business that you've got. Why not write your own personal charter your own mission statement so what's your mission your objectives your vision and your values so that you define the kind of leader that you will become so i liked that mm -hmm. uh, we went on uh, i pick a couple of the other ones i i found Rosalind palmer she writes awakening my leadership dna and her quote is lead from your heart inspire from, from your actions and her action steps say that it's vital that everyone in your team or organizations feels that they have a voice and can invest in and contribute to your vision and values ricka oh, i'm terrible with these names Yitalo, sorry Ricca, Ricca Yitalo, my quest for love, self-love. And she says, if you want to save the world, save yourself first. Uh, Catherine Mally Dawson talks about the hatchet man. And her quote is, when you have the power to impact others' lives, do it with love, compassion and be gentle. And her intention is to help others understand that there is a compassionate way of managing transformation. So that's a great little book. It's one to dip into, I, I feel. It's a, it's a dip-in book when you're looking for inspiration. It's easy to read. It's full of positive stories of real-life drama and resilience. And that is called Ignite Your Female Leadership, 35 Outstanding Stories by Women Who Are Inspiring the World Through Feminine Leadership. This week, we're profiling a gentleman called Damien Hurst. You might not think of him as a businessman, but he is indeed. He describes himself as an artist and an entrepreneur and an art collector. And that is also what Wikipedia describe him as. He was born on the 7th of June, 1965. And he's a fascinating person. I, so much so that I've listened to two podcasts about him. Two, not one, Heather. Two, two. podcasts. And the first one was the delightful Desert Island Discs. I love a good Desert Island oh, Discs. yeah. And uh, I listened to that one. It's a good 45-minute show. And they don't play all the tracks either. So there's a lot of talking in it. And uh, I really got to a, a feel for the person. I... I rather warm to him did you yeah i did um and he's got quite a quite a profile really and and he's been a um what do you call controversial yes but yeah i like i liked him and he's he's been sober for six years so that might explain some of the controversy beforehand drink and drugs were his go-to and uh he he stopped and he he does say that his life has been somewhat uh more even since then um fascinating gentleman i i found out his net worth is the 300 million dollars but i've not had that verified a few different places have said that but i'm not totally sure 
And uh, on his own website, DamienHurst.com, it says he was born in Bristol and grew up in Leeds. In 1984, he moved to London, where he worked in construction before studying for a BA in fine art at Goldsmiths College. And he was awarded the Turner Prize in 1995. Heather, I'm going to hand over to you before I continue. What have you got on Damien Hurst? Well, he... um I mean, he's his his work is is varied, isn't it? I mean, he's the guy who's had the shark. Uh, was it a shark in formaldehyde? Yeah. And then the sort of spot paintings. They were just yeah. like a load of spots. It's a bit like join the dots. Yeah. And um, the cow. And the cow. Yeah. All. Yeah. Cut in half, wasn't it? And yeah. He wanted to be able to walk through the middle of a cow. Yes. Yeah. So he's quite random in that regard, and I'm not entirely sure that that is solely to do with the drugs and the alcohol and all of those types of things i think he's i think he comes from quite an unusual place but i thought i'd go and have a look at um company's house once again and see you know what what his business interests are and just looking at the list of companies that he has registered i thought that was really interesting so it things like 2h restaurants limited um um, Victor Mara Limited, Lysendale Day Limited. Um, but then we get on to the Key Restaurant, uh, Prince and Editions Limited, Dropout Pictures, Naivety Limited. Um, and then there was one, uh, Damien Hurst and Sons, Damien Hurst Limited, The Hours. The Goose What Laid the Golden Egg Limited. <laughs> I love the sound of that. Resign Limited. So he's Murder Me Limited. I mean, he, he, so he is quite other criteria limited. I mean, he just, there's this whole raft. So even his company names are creative. Are creative, yeah. yeah. And some of them, he's always listed as a contemporary artist. He claims that um, he thought he'd arrived when on his passport he was able to put that he was an artist he thought that being a painter meant that he had arrived but actually he he he's much more of a, a contemporary artist slash sculptor sculptor slash painter so he he's a bit more um general about his his um his title but what he's really good at is creating a brand and, yeah. and he is the brand. Uh, and that's something that I think that a lot of organisations can can look and learn from. Well, indeed, the, the reason why his artwork is so expensive and, and one of the reasons why Hearst is, is worth a lot of money and has earned a lot of money is because a group of people have decided it is worth a lot of mm. money. And so th these group of people that decided the artwork is worth a lot of money also have a lot of money. So yes. at the while they think it, the the art is valuable, the art is valuable. However, I read an article that said he's excellent at spotting when you know sort of he's a trader as well yep. because what he did is apparently he sold a lot of his art in two thousand and eight at the height of its um, at the top of the market just before the crash, and since then. The prices of his artwork have fallen as well, but he did all right. And he, he actually sold this in an auction direct to buyers, cut out the dealers and the galleries. He just you sold Sotheby's, it. The whole, didn't he do it through, Sotheby's, through Sotheby's, yes. yes, yeah. And he, the whole auction. of the auction was, yeah. was his artwork. Yep. And so people have said that um, there may be better artists, but there are not many traders who have so exquisitely called the top of the market. Mm. 
Because generally speaking, if you're selling, my understanding is that if you're selling work through a gallery, they take half of the the revenue from that. So even if he was paying Sotheby's 10%, he still quids in. And what he did early on, you know, back in the days of the, the, um, the shark and everything, he partnered with um, one of the Saatchi brothers. Um, I'm not sure which one it is, but, you know, who's heavily into art, heavily um, uh, influential, obviously, you know, in the work that they do, advertising and etc. Well connected. So in this world where you're relying on people with money thinking your art is valuable, having somebody like that on site. Yeah, yeah, I think this is valuable enough to pay this much money. It's a hell of an endorsement. Yeah. Um, And yeah, it's a case of, you know, of he whether he was in the right place at the right time or whether he was brave enough and ballsy enough to ask the questions, I don't know. But as you rightly said, he's very good at timing. Yeah. And, and he's built this brand that... Well, it's interesting as to what's happening with his business now because you, you mentioned the key restaurant, that's in Ilfracombe. Um, and I read an article to say that, that he's scaling back his business, which includes closing the key restaurant in Ilfracombe. He's already closed his gallery in Ilfracombe, which I've been yeah. to. Oh, I've seen you? the Verity statue okay. that he um, has on long-term loan to the council there. Okay. That's that's still there and it's still going to stay there. But he, he's changing the way he's working. So clearly he, he's having one of these shifts. So he's laid off staff. Um, he's, he's changing the way he's working and says that he's, he's focusing on making art again. So it'll be interesting to see which way it goes. He's bought a new gallery. Um showcasing it to showcase his uh, murder me collection <laughs> it, it's it almost seems as though he he's he started off um doing his own stuff and then at one time he had two or three hundred people who were making his stuff yeah. i, I it was like heard a production. on the the podcast there about um the the spot paintings and uh, one of the ladies was leaving and asked him to do a spot painting he said no you're the best at doing the spot paintings you should do it and yeah actually I'm no good at doing spot paintings but she said no I want one that you've done right yes yeah but that's not normally I certainly from my point of view if there's an artist if it's an artist if it's an original artist piece of work I'm assuming that that artist has touched that piece of work has you know sweated over that piece of work has in a a way I don't think that is actually true because I think a lot of the um, grandmasters are the grandmasters the masters you know those people from the past the (laughs) The words are evading me this afternoon but uh, you know it's not uh, unusual that um, great artists actually paid other people to do their work for them. But he, he seems to have pushed it to a whole, you know, to a, almost a, a sort of um, production line. Yeah. And now he's scaling it right back. So one of the things certainly that's different to, to a, a lot of artists from the past is he's made money in his lifetime. Yes. You Whereas know, they you look at a lot of them make yeah. the money after, the, you know, the paintings make money yeah. for somebody else yeah. after they've died. So that's Damien Hurst. I haven't got a quote. I think his artwork perhaps speaks for itself. Mm. I didn't find anything that I particularly wanted to share. Did you, Heather? No, I didn't. I mean, there are lots of things that are attributed to him, but they're mostly about him being nonconformist and actually, you know, being outside of the... I would suggest, rather than a quote, go and find the Desert Island Discs um, recording on BBC Sounds because... That that's I think you get a feel for the actual man, not the hype. I think he talked at one point about um, having to be Damien Hurst. So part of him preparing to go out was how he was going to 
be Damien Hirst, this like person. Like that persona. Yeah. So I think Desert Island Discs, of all the things I've seen, was one where he was actually being himself, talking about playing the role of Damien Hirst at, at other things. Well, that's about all we've got time for this week. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed this week's show. We will be back next week. But of course, don't forget that you can listen to the podcasted version of this show um, without the music. And that's via our website, thebusiness.com community and on there you'll find information about the things that we've talked about and of course all of our back issues you've been listening to the business community with me tracy jones and me heather noble join us again next week for more news views and reviews from the world of business Mm -hmm.